you turn with your Bibles to 2 Corinthians as we continue our study together, chapter 4. June is here. Love is in the air. You know that, right? Uh, I had the privilege of uh, officiating a wedding ceremony yesterday. Amazing, a glorious service. Uh, Sarah McWilliams, one of our own, uh, tied the knot with a uh, wonderful, believing family from Chicago. I want to call your attention to another wedding that's coming up. Uh, there's a little one coming up this Friday. Uh, the last week I put in the bulletin an invite to our beloved Orangewood family to come celebrate with us at the wedding ceremony. Uh, the wedding ceremony this Friday, 4 o'clock um, at First United Methodist Winter Park. Our daughter Jessie is marrying Todd Fleming, the answer to our prayers, and uh, joining the Fleming clan. So this is an all-Orangewood festivities I'm not a betting man, but I hear there's a few bets going on, how quick I'm going to break down and start boohooing. <laughs> Hold it together. This is a joyous occasion. This is great as far as you know. So come and see, come and celebrate. We'd love to have you. That you'll find in the bulletin uh, for more information. As we look to God's Word today, let's be mindful as we open up God's Word to 2 Corinthians 4. We're going to look at the first six verses that this is God's holy Word. Uh, God himself has uh, breathed upon the writers so that we know that it's trustworthy. We know that it'll never lead us astray. And as Paul was writing specifically to a church in Corinth a really long time ago, Scripture tells us that it's for us as well. That everything was written was for you and for me. So no matter who you are, God has you here, and we have the privilege of hearing from him. The way he speaks to us clearly through his word, and we put ourselves under that authority. So let us read together. I'll read out loud. You can read silently with me. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 6. Paul writes, Therefore, since God in His mercy has given us this new way or this ministry, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone. Or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God. And all who are honest know this. If the good news or the gospel we preach is hidden behind a veil, it's hidden only from the people who are perishing. Satan, who's the God of this age or the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Oh God, how I long this morning to be in the light. That you would come and that you would be my light this morning. Because why? Because Lord, you are the light of the world. And we live in a world that is filled with darkness. And we live with an enemy that would love to blind our minds and our eyes from the truth of who you are. 
the truth of who Jesus is and what He has done. The truth of the power of the Gospel. The power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So Father, as we long to be in the light, as as You are in the light, would You come and be with us this morning? And God, would the power of Your Spirit shine so brightly in every one of our hearts that there would not be a heart this morning that wasn't affected and touched by the light of the Gospel. That all of us will be able to behold the face, the glorious face of Jesus this morning. The glory of God. And as we behold Him, would You make us more like Him, Your Son, our Savior. And it's in His glorious, matchless name that we pray. Amen. Stuart Blakeman was a simple, uneducated, poor man who really, his, his, uh, his sphere of influence was quite small. Stuart Blakeman's influence, well, it was small, and that kind of related to his stature, a very small stature of a man. The place that knew Stuart the best, the, where he was most well-known, well, guess what? It was the pool hall. It was the pool hall that knew Stuart the most, and they knew him as this. They knew him as a drinker. Uh, they knew him as a cusser. Uh, they knew him as a gambler. They also knew him as one who was pretty good, I hear, with a pool cue. Well, Stuart was the kind of man, and maybe you know these kinds of men. Uh, Stuart was the kind of man that when he received an insurance check for the fire with his house, the only house he would ever own, when he received the insurance check, he promptly took that check and gambled it away. He gambled away that money, uh, and then he went home and he told his wife, he says, well, I got mugged. I got mugged. I was robbed. The money is gone. Stewart's life was forever changed when he was dragged into church by his wife, a good-sized woman, bigger than Stuart, and he had the chance to hear an evangelist. Interesting. You know what the word evangelist means? It's a Greek word, euangelion. It means good news, the gospel. Stuart was dragged into a church, and he heard good news. This evangelist, which really strikes me, I love this part of the story, the evangelist was a female evangelist in the 1930s. So I would imagine, probably quite rare in those days, I don't know. But something happened as she spoke. Something happened as this evangelist opened up God's Word and taught about the glory of Christ. Something happened when he heard the good news that God is merciful. The good news that God loves sinners, even sinners that are gamblers and drunks and and gamble away their insurance check. And something happened into his heart. That veil of darkness was removed. And and in his mind, he saw Jesus for who he truly is. A savior of sinners. He saw God's son. And he realized that, that God was willing to forgive a sorry sinner like Stuart. A walk down the aisle. And the whole world changed. A walk down the aisle and the whole world changed forever. God's mercy in Christ changed everything. And I guarantee you're saying, what? Stuart who? Stuart Blakeman? That changed the world? Really? Well, probably in a lot of ways it didn't change your world. But it changed my world. 
You see, because it was through Stuart Blakeman and God's grace that Christianity took root in my family through my grandfather. And my mother, unlike her brothers, my mother was raised with a godly father in a Christian home and was told the truth about who Jesus is. Stuart remained a simple, uneducated, poor man. But this is what Stuart knew. That poor man was forgiven. That poor man was free. That poor man was changed. And his life was forever changed. The good news of Jesus Christ became his passion. The God of this age that had blinded my grandfather was vanquished. And the light of Christ was shining on him. And by his grace, shining on our family. The mercy of God in Christ had triumphed. Stuart Blakeman was a new creation. The Apostle Paul had a similar experience to my grandfather. All right, let's talk. Probably my grandfather had a similar experience to the Apostle Paul, right? Let's get this in the right order here. And I know there was a great amount of differences between them. Unlike my grandfather, Saul at the time, he'll become Paul. He was an educated man. He was a man of letters. I mean, he was an influential man. Uh, Not only that, he was a very religious, zealous man. But Paul, when he came into contact with Jesus Christ, when he came into contact with who really God was in Christ Jesus, everything changed. Everything changed in his life, and truly, the world changed as well. I want to look at that experience that Paul has when he came into contact with Jesus. Remember, Paul was a religious man. Uh, Paul was one who hated people like you and me. Anybody who knew and loved Jesus, Paul was after. Paul wanted to persecute. God wants us to hear about Paul's life and his conversion so much that it's recorded three times in the book of Acts. Three times we're going to hear about his conversion experience. Why? So that all sinners like you and me and Stuart Blakeman can have hope and find mercy in God. So if you'll turn me your Bibles, we're going to look at the last time it's recorded for us as Paul meets face to face with Jesus and what happens. We're going to look at Acts 26 verses 9 through 18. We're going to pick up on a conversation Paul is having with a guy named King Agrippa. Uh, He has an audience with this this king, and he's going to use this opportunity like he always does to proclaim the good news of Christ Jesus. So read along with me, if you will. I think the words will show behind me if you don't have your Bibles. Paul writes to King Agrippa and through the Spirit to us. He writes, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priest, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. One day, I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priest. About noon, when the sun was the highest, mind you, your majesty, remember, he's talking to the king, King Agrippa. About noon, your majesty, as the sun shone down on me and my companions, 
Um, I was, let me skip ahead. Um, as I was on the road, a light from heaven brighter than the sun shone down on me and my companions. We fell down and heard a voice saying in Aramaic, or maybe Hebrew, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Paul asked the question that we will all have to answer one day. Who are you, Lord, I ask? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. You are to tell the world what you have seen and what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles. Now listen to this and how much this sounds like we've read in in 2 Corinthians. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and being given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Paul's face-to-face encounter with Jesus truly changed the world. And he had seen the light that was brighter than the noonday sun. The light of the world had come and rescued him. If you want to follow along in your bulletin, we're going to look at three things about this illuminating power of good news. We're going to see that it's God's mercy that opens our eyes and opens our minds. It's God's glory that fills our minds. And God's beauty in Christ Jesus that shines in our hearts. The first thing is this. God's mercy in opening our eyes. You know, the amazing good news about our God, the amazing good news is when he meets sinners like you and me, when he meets sinners like Paul, when he meets sinners like Stuart Blakeman, guess what? He leads with mercy. The amazing thing about our holy God, the God who is, that he doesn't lead with judgment. He doesn't lead with justice. And if he did, we're all toast. But the incredible gift that God gives us is when he meets sinners like Paul who are persecuting him, who are doing everything they can to thwart his plan, to to, uh, uh, denounce his glory, he shows up and he is merciful. It's amazing. It's amazing uh, how he leads with mercy. You know, after 9-11, we found out things like Al-Qaeda top 10 hit lists and, and those that that we're after, those enemies of, of terror, those enemies that we're going to go after to make sure that, that they're done away with, make sure that justice is happening, especially after the light of 9-11. You remember the breaking news that would come along sometime and we'd hear a name we can't pronounce and say, hey, he was number 10. We got number five. And oh, we'll never forget the day when the number one hit list, Osama bin Laden, was found and taken care of. Justice finally came. I would imagine if God had a hit list, Paul had to be on the top. I mean, Paul, I mean, here the early church was, was, was starting to grow and, and the name of, of Jesus was starting to spread and Paul was really ticked about it. Hated the name of Jesus. Hated those crazy Christians. And he did everything he could to persecute us. Everything he could to kill us. And what does God do? When he finally gets his man in his scope, what does God do when he is in the crosshair of a holy God? He shows mercy. He shows grace. 
and he offers forgiveness. I don't know where you are with God. I don't know your life story. But I do know this about God. No matter who you are, Apostle Paul, Stuart Blakeman, Jeff Jakes, whoever you are, if you are a sinner and you are found in the presence of God, know this, he is loving, he is merciful, and in Christ Jesus, he offers forgiveness. Is that not good news? Not only does he offer forgiveness, he also empowers. He forgives and empowers, and that's what he did with Paul. And that's why Paul says, I'm not giving up. It's verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I'm not going to give up. No matter what happens to me, my ministry is not going to, the word there is slacken. Because I'll never forget how I'm a new creation. I can't get over God's mercy. My brothers and sisters, I pray that we live our lives never with a day getting over God's mercy. Maybe you didn't persecute the church like Paul. And maybe you weren't a gambler like Stuart Blakeman. But every one of us deserves God's wrath. But in Christ Jesus, we get God's mercy. Not only that, we see God's glory filling our minds. And listen, the only way God's glory can fill our minds is if we see Jesus for who he really is. Did you hear that? It's kind of, listen again. The only way that the glory of God will fill our minds, that the veil will be removed, that, that the God of this age who has blinded our minds will be conquered is if we see Jesus for who he really is. Look again in 4.4. What does it tell us about Jesus? It's the glory of Christ who is the exact likeness to God. When the light was shining brightly, the light of Christ was shining brightly and knocked Paul on his backside in Damascus and blinded him. He cried out to Jesus and said, Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? Only knowing Jesus as he is, as Lord, we'll see that in verse 5, having that veil of darkness torn in two, can our minds be filled with the glory of God? Only when we understand Jesus as the only eternal Son of God, the Savior of, his, of sinners, can we experience God's presence. Can we live in His light? Listen, only in Jesus, for who He really is, can we ever know the smile of the Father. What does it mean when Paul says, being the exact likeness to God? Wow. Paul is saying this, and Scripture attests that it's true, that Jesus is fully God, fully eternal God, fully God and fully man. Scripture unfolds a mystery to us that there is but one true living God. But in this one true living God exists three persons in this Godhead. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one God. They're the same in substance. And listen, this is where we separate from what we would call the cults of this world. Jesus, the same in substance, equal in power and glory of the Father. Eternal, equal to the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. I love how Paul pulls in this light and darkness motif. And you can't hear when Jesus is, is spoken of here by Paul saying that, that light spoke into darkness. What comes to mind immediately is Genesis 1. I mean, it's God who spoke into the darkness and created light. And then we think of John 1. It's, it's John 1, the God who is eternal God, the Word of God, who became flesh and dwelt among us. He's the light of man. 
And it says this about Jesus, that he came into darkness, and the darkness didn't understand it. The darkness didn't overcome it. But this is Jesus, eternal, holy God, equal to the Father, equal with the Spirit. But the God of this age has blinded the eyes of unbelievers. that They don't see Jesus for who he really is. Do you? About a week ago, I was picking my son up from a neighborhood not too far from our house. My window was down. It must have been a cool day. I don't know. And I could see a group of people canvassing the neighborhood. And oh, did I recognize them. Kind of knew them by the way they walked. Knew them by what they were carrying. Knowing what they were doing. I'm like, oh no. My window's down. They're looking at me. I'm kind of sheepishly looking at them. Praying against them. You'll find out why in a minute. And the lady comes by and says, sir, can I give you something to read while you wait? I said, ma'am. No, thank you, because I know what you'll give me. You're going to give me an ancient heresy called Arianism that's going to deny my Savior Jesus the reality of who he is. You're not going to believe that he's eternal. You're not going to believe that he is the only begotten Son of God. He is equal with the Father. I am a born-again Christian, and by God's grace, I know Jesus for who he really is, and I won't accept anything other than that. And by God's grace, he's, he's opened up my mind to know the truth. And then I started preaching. I couldn't help it. <laughs> and the God of this age has blinded your minds. And I'm, you know, it's hard for me because God leads with mercy, but Jeff sometimes leads with a right cross, you know. Is... <laughs> but listen, God does love sinners. But what was happening there was an attack of darkness on our neighborhoods. Because they're ringing our doorbell and they're telling our neighbors lies about Jesus and we should be angry. Because they're robbing him of his glory. They're not telling us the truth of who he really is. That's what Paul says in 4.2. Remember 4.2, he says, listen, I'm not going to trick people. I'm not going to take God's word and distort it, he says in in, in chapter 2. I'm going to give it plain and simple to them that Jesus is our only hope. He is truly the light of the world. He is really God. And the only way that our minds will be filled with the glory of God is to see Jesus rightly. So I said, I'm praying against you. And I'm praying against your ministry. Because I love Jesus too much not to. We got to be reminded of this, that the God of this age has truly blinded them. They blinded all of us. I mean, our sinful selves are separated from God. And here's church, here's what we got to always remind ourselves so we don't get arrogant. Only God can remove the veil that blinds us so we can see Jesus rightly. Do you hear that? Only God. We are so sinful. The God of this age is so powerful. I mean, we are so separated from the light. We, by nature, are children of wrath. By nature, are filled with darkness. Only God's grace and mercy to us in Christ Jesus can remove the veil. We cannot do it ourselves. We can't. And by God's grace, he loves his own. And by God's grace... He gives us the ability to even believe by God's grace. If you know Jesus and you're sitting here thinking, I know, you're right, pastor. He's the eternal son of God. He's fully God. If you know Jesus as who he is revealed in scripture, you have one being to thank for it. God, by his grace, he's revealed it to us. Nothing that we have found out on our own. And now we have the privilege of having the glory of God in our minds as we see Jesus rightly. Having first been washed by the the mercy of God, we see the beauty of Christ. 
shining. Let's look again at verse 6. For God who said, let there be light and darkness. Again, we should be thinking Genesis 1, John 1, the light of the world. The God who said, let there be light and darkness has made this light shine, this amazing creating and recreating light to shine where? In our hearts. So that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. The glory of God is shining in the face of Jesus. And you know the good news of the gospel allows us to do this. Sinners like us can get into his presence. Sinners like us can, can look upon the face uh, and, and faith spiritually on Christ Jesus. We can reflect the glory of God, know the glory of God in Christ Jesus. And the light of the world that has come, you know what he wants us to do? He wants to draw us into his presence, remind of his love and grace. And as we behold his face, the glorious face of God, the glory of God seen in Jesus' face, we reflect that beauty. We reflect that glory. We become more like Jesus. What an amazing gospel. What amazing good news that God would shine his creative and, and recreative lights into our hearts, into our lives, so that we can reflect the glory of God. What is this all about? Well, Jesus is truly the glory of God and the exact likeness of God. He is Lord. Do you know that? Clearly it says all of these things in this passage. So what? Well, listen, the reality is, is the only way we could live our lives as God has intended, the only way we could bring him glory and know life and life abundantly is that the light of Christ Jesus is shining upon us and through us. So now what? I have three things for you as we close. First one is this, walk in the light. Walk in the light. The light of Christ has come. If you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior and that light is shining upon you, walk in the light. 1 John 1, 7 says it this way, walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all sins. The God of this age, the God of this world would love to take believers and say, you know what, just be like the rest of the world. Live your life, there should be no difference. But God is saying, I am light, I've called you out of darkness. Now live your life, live your life, walk your life. May your life reflect this truth. Walk in the light. Walk in the light of Christ, church. Second thing is this, grow in the knowledge of Jesus. 2 Peter 3.18 says, grow in the grace. It's all about God's grace from start to finish. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Grow in your knowledge of Jesus. If today is the first day that you're hearing the truth about who Jesus is, Praise God and welcome to the family. If today's the day that you've heard a billionth time about who Jesus is, grow in your knowledge. Grow in grace to know him. He's eternal God. You can never plumb the depths. He's God Almighty, Holy God, your Savior. Grow in your knowledge of him. Grow through your prayer time. Grow through your time in God's word. Grow in community. Grow, grow together. Grow in worship. Grow. God has given us life, and in the light, growth should happen in him. And lastly, 
Together we battle the darkness. This passage is replete with we and them. Go back through it and circle the number of times it talks about we and us versus they and them. This is a passage calling the church to be mindful that we are in a battle. Light and darkness are opposed to one another. And God is calling us together to shine the light of Christ together in this world. This is not just an individual pursuit where we all charge up our batteries and have one little Bic light going into the world. Yes, it's true and he uses us. But he says collectively, we together right now are to battle the God of this age. We are a city on a hill. We are the light of the world. We are the chosen one that God has come to shine his light through us collectively. May this church rise up and say, reflect the glory of God through us. Show us clearly the face of Jesus. May our light shine here, the way we love one another and the way we love our neighbors. You see, the good news of Jesus Christ should and does change our world. And it does so, so we can change the world for him. It changed the Apostle Paul. It changed Stuart Blakeman. And it's changed my world for the glory of Christ. Has it changed yours? Is the light of Christ shining upon you? Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the amazing grace that you show to sinners like us. The truth is we all should be on your hit list. And when we see you face to face, you should just smote us and take us out. But instead, instead you show us grace and mercy. Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. I deserve wrath. And I got love and mercy instead. Thank you for that love and mercy to Paul. Thank you for that love and mercy to Stuart. Thank you for that love and mercy to me. And thank you for that love and mercy to the body of Christ here at Orangewood. Father, may we have a passion for Jesus, to know him as he truly is, Lord of Lord and King of Kings, the eternal God, the same substance and glory as the Father and Spirit. And Father God, may you tell your story through our lives together. Together may this place shine. Give us a hunger for your knowledge. Give us a hunger for your glory. Seat us close to the cross and may we remember the sacrifice Christ has made for us. May the glory of God that is seen in the face of Christ Jesus bring joy to each of our hearts, encouragement to each of our lives, and empower us to shine for you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.